0: Hello. Good meeting. Good meeting. Good morning. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the September regular meeting of the Local Agency Formation Commission. I am Vice Chair Jackie Fielder, and I'm joined by Commissioners Dean Preston and Hope Williams. Our clerk John Carroll is away, so I'd like to thank Elisa Somera for stepping in and being our clerk today. Also, I'd like to thank the staff at TV for broadcasting this meeting. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements?
1: Yes, LAFCO is convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance. You're muted. Um, hold, if you could hold on, let me make sure everything is.
2: You're unmuted.
1: Apologize for the technical difficulties.
2: You're muted.
1: Can you hear us now?
3: Yes, we can hear you.
1: All right. Sorry about that. All right. I'll restart the communications. LAFCO is convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. Public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. If you wish to provide public comment remotely, the call and information will be scrolling across the screen. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, if you're joining us, in person please line up to speak on to your right and those on the telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker line if you're on the telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and any listening devices you may be lis- you may be using. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways: you can me- email them to myself, the clerk, at elisa a l i s a dot s o m e r a at s f g o v dot o r g, or you may submit written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlip Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit written public comment, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and also included as part of the official file. Madam Vice Chair, that concludes my communications. Thank you. And can you please call the roll? Yes. Vice Chair Fielder. Here. Fielder present. Commissioner Williams. Here. Williams, present. Commissioner Preston. Preston, present. Madam Vice Chair, you have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call item number two. Item number two is approval of the Lofcombe Minutes from the July 21st, 2023 regular meeting. Members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should line up to speak now or press star 3 if you are joining us remotely. Madam Vice Chair. All right. Do
0: any commissioners have any changes to the Minutes from the July 21st, 2023 meeting?
1: Seeing no
4: changes. Yeah, change I don't yet. think, hold on, let me call where that stuff.
1: We have somebody coming through. I'm going to call line. us right now. Okay, I think we could proceed. There was a unmuted line on the PC. Sorry about that. Um, if you wish, uh, are you calling public comment? Yes, yeah, Is- no changes. I will open this up for public comment. Speakers will have three minutes. All right, if you are here to speak in person, please line up to speak now. If you are joining us remotely, you can press star three. Seeing no one in person, we'll go to the public comment line. Uh, Do we have any callers in the queue? We have no callers, Madam Vice Chair. Seeing
0: no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Is there a motion
1: to approve the minutes? Moved by um, Madam Vice Chair, we. It looks like we have a problem on WebEx. If we could pause for a moment. Okay. All right, Madam Vice Chair, sorry everyone for the difficulties. All right, for members of the public, we are on item number two. Public comment has been closed and we were taking action on the July 21st minutes. Madam Vice Chair. Um, I believe Commissioner Williams moved to approve
0: the minutes. Oh, Commissioner Preston moved to approve the minutes. Do I have a second?
1: Second. All right, on the motion, moved by Commissioner Preston, seconded by Commissioner Williams. Commissioner Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Williams? Aye. Williams, aye. Vice Chair Fielder? Aye. Fielder, aye. There are three ayes. All right. And Madam Clerk, can you please call item number three? And the minutes are approved as presented. Um, item number three is electric bikes for delivery workers pilot program update. Members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should line up to speak now or press star three if you are joining us remotely. Madam Vice Chair. All right. We will now hear from Anna Shirudo
0: and Clean, the Clean Transportation Specialist for the San Francisco Environment Department. If you could please keep your presentation at 10 minutes, that would be much appreciated.
6: Well, good morning, Commissioners. Thank you so much for having me today. My name is Anna Scherudo. I'm a clean transportation specialist at the San Francisco Environment Department, and I'll be providing the update today. Great, next slide, please. So here's the agenda for today. I'll go over some background on how, how the project came to be. I'll then spend some time on project updates. I'll spend a little bit of time looking ahead at the next few months to come, and then I'll wrap with some Q&A. Next slide, please. So getting into some program background, in 2019, SF Environment completed its EV Ready Community Blueprint, which established a strategy to help identify near, mid, and long-term actions for creating a 100% electric transportation system by 2040. These actions are nested under six categories, which include public awareness, incentives, expanding charging infrastructure, medium and heavy duty trucks, the grid and emerging mobility. Fast forward to 2022 and SF environment received a $2.4 million grant from the California Energy Commission to implement four projects identified in the 2019 blueprint. One of these projects is the e-bike pilot program and the other three projects you can see here are on uh, the selected actions under this table. This project was also identified as a priority action in the city's 2021 climate action plan. The pilot was largely inspired by LAFCO's emerging mobility labor study, which found that 39% of meal delivery workers said that they would switch to an e-bike, and 31% said that they might switch to an e-bike if an incentive was offered. So we're really putting that study to the test. Next slide, please. So getting into the pilot program itself... Uh, The pilot will shift up to 30 delivery workers from cars to e-bikes, and it will be launched in two cohorts. Each cohort will have 15 e-bikers, which is our pilot group, and 15 drivers, which is our baseline and control group. The pilot will have a total of 60 participants, so 30 will be on e-bikes and 30 will be in cars. We're using a combination of surveys, informational interviews, and an app-based software system to track and analyze data on how e-bike deliveries compare to those made with cars. Some specific data points that we're looking at are working conditions, income, safety, emission reductions, and the overall efficiency of deliveries on e-bikes. We're hopeful that the pilot's findings will demonstrate that e-bikes are a faster, cleaner, and more cost-effective method for food deliveries. Next slide, please. So here's our program timeline, the program is a year long, and we've broken it up into three phases. So we have program ramp up, data collection, and analysis. We are currently in the data collection phase. In terms of cohort timing, each biker cohort will run for a total of six months, which includes one month of onboarding and e-bike training, four months of delivery and data collection, and one month of offboarding. At the end of those six months, participants will receive full ownership of their e-bikes. Next slide, please. So here are our program partners. Uh, SFE, we are the manager of the pilot. Grid Alternatives is our program implementation partner, so they are responsible for participant recruitment and individual case management, as well as um, equipment procurement. SF Bike Coalition is managing all of our e-bike training programs for participants, which are a requirement of the pilot. Driver's Seat Cooperative is our data collection partner, so they have an app that allows delivery workers to actually track their data delivery. LAFCO, that's you all, you've been really instrumental in helping us um, form up the pilot, including providing feedback on our implementation plan and all of our surveys, so a special thank you uh, for your continued collaboration. We're also working with the PUC to ensure that our pilot program is aligned with their upcoming e-bike rebate program. And then finally, the Hub Bicycles is our equipment provider. Next slide, please. So now shifting over to some more program-specific updates, we began our participant recruitment in March and the response to the program was extremely encouraging. We received 173 eligible applications across 21 zip codes. We saw a cluster of high-quality applicants around the Mission, Tenderloin, and downtown San Francisco. Our first cohort of 15 bikers launched in June, and our second cohort uh, is actually launching this week, so we're excited about that. Next slide, please. So here are some photos from our first cohort launch. Each launch is spread out over two days. The first day is a classroom-based training where participants learn about their bikes, they learn charging best practices, theft prevention, and the rules of the road. The second training is then on the bike. Um, There are a number of skill tests that participants have to go through, and the training ends with a five-mile bike ride around the city, which emulates um, delivery-like specific situations. Next slide, please. Lessons learned so far. So we've learned a lot uh, since launching our first cohort. First, our program recruitment has indicated strong interest from SF delivery workers to switch to e-bikes. This is promising as we start to think about expanding the pilot and biking infrastructure in the city more broadly. The second thing we've learned is that bike trainings have increased participants' biking comfortability. 90% of participants surveyed said that they felt more comfortable biking in San Francisco and making deliveries in San Francisco after participating in SF Bike Coalition's bike safety trainings. Third, we've seen that there is a backlog of participants getting on food delivery apps. For the first cohort, we did not require participants to have prior delivery working experience, and as a result, we saw that some participants that were signing up for apps for the first time were waitlisted, and that caused delays in getting them onboarded. For the second cohort, we are making delivery experience a requirement to avoid any further delays. Lastly, we've seen that there is a need for more secure long-term bike parking options throughout the city. The map on the left here indicates where participants have felt unsafe making deliveries on their bike. This could be because of a lack of bike infrastructure, concern over personal safety, or in some cases fear of bike theft, which we have seen in the program. Next slide please. So looking ahead, As I mentioned earlier, we are wrapping up Cohort 1 this month. As part of the wrap-up, we will be transferring e-bike ownership to participants. We'll also begin our preliminary data analysis, including a comparison of delivery and survey responses between the e-bike pilot and driver control groups. As Cohort 1 wraps, we are also launching Cohort 2. So we had our classroom-based training yesterday, and we will continue with our on-bike trainings tomorrow. I also wanted to highlight Uh, that we are finalizing a new grant award with the DOE to expand the pilot. We are still confirming the details, but we expect that the DOE funding will double the number of program participants. I believe that is my last slide, so I'm happy to take any questions. And thank you again for having me. Thank you for your presentation. Colleagues, any comments or
0: questions? Commissioner Preston.
7: Thank you. I just want to thank you for the work on this. I'm very supportive of uh, this, this pilot. It's great to see some of the results and the fact that we're gearing up for the, the next cohort with potential funding to scale up further. So that's really uh, excellent news and looking forward to trying to tackle some of the logistical issues just around um, bike parking storage and some of the other things. So um, I... I did, uh, I was curious if you could just speak a little, you, you referenced a wait list and some trying to kind of limit the time for folks um, being on a wait list, but I'm just curious more overall how the demand looks, right? Like we have the original study showing a lot of, um, a lot of drivers, delivery drivers interested in this. We have apparently a wait list for folks to get in, but can you can you quantify to some extent? Like I'm I'm just wondering if we had and and my thought and I've raised this before is like with additional funding, is this the kind of thing where we just scale up as much as we can? The demand is there and it's just a matter of like how many of these can we get out there or is it more finite what the demand we're seeing is?
6: Yeah, that's a good question. So um, we opened our recruitment back in March, and that's when we did receive almost 200 applications. And since then, I think more folks have actually applied for that wait list. And so from our preliminary recruitment and looking to expand the pilot, we definitely see that there's a need for this. And um, this pilot's relatively small. You know, it's 30 participants. With the DOE funding, we're hoping to double the number of participants. But I think the demand likely goes beyond what we'll um, have funding for.
7: And, and so is it, is it 30 and then 30 more, or was it 15 and 15 more? Because we're we're, right, we're, in the, we're in cohort two of the first funding round.
6: Correct, and each cohort has 15 bikers. 15. 15 bikers and 15 drivers. So it's a total of 30 bikers in this California Energy Commission grant.
7: And if we get these additional funds, is there an estimate of how many additional um, participants that would allow?
6: Yes, so we're still finalizing the details, but we're anticipating to double the pilot, so it would be an additional 30 bikers.
7: Great, and sorry, current waitlist is approximately how many?
6: Current waitlist is approximately, I would say 100 folks that are eligible and interested.
7: Great, thank you. That's really helpful and look forward to continuing to work with you on this.
6: Yeah, thank you. Appreciate your comments.
0: Commissioner Williams. Yes, thank you for
6: thank you
8: for all of this work that um, you and the program and all the folks that well all the folks that are helping out. So I mean I can definitely see the benefits. I wonder how much of the how much personal use of the bike is being done because um, I can already see that being less cars, and then very exciting to see the data. Um, that will ultimately, I think, support the need for more bike lanes, and we love more bike lanes. Um, I immediately was like, wait, what was the top zip code um, where the request came from? So I saw Russian Hill in Chinatown, North Beach was District 3. Uh, The second zip code, though, I didn't catch, so I wonder which one that was. And then... um, as far as tax write-offs, when these bikers are probably purchasing their own helmets, is that part of the training when doing their taxes? And wondering also what the eligibility um, criteria is. So, zip code, taxes, eligibility. Those.
6: Yeah, thank you for those questions. And the zip code, I would need to refer back to um, the slide, but. Uh, For the other two questions, so we're actually, um, in terms of equipment, we're providing all the baseline equipment for participants, so not just the bike, but we're also providing helmets, locks, um, lights, and then also delivery equipment. So there's a rear basket that folks can use, and then we also provide them with an insulated food bag that they can either put on their back or in the basket. Um, And then uh, the last question around eligibility, a few things that we looked for were um, folks needed to be 18 years or older. They needed to be able to commit to working um, an average of 20 hours a week on the delivery apps for that four-month period. They had to be San Francisco residents. And then we also looked at financial need and prioritized uh, lower-income individuals.
0: Thank you. Um, Thank you, Commissioner Williams. My question, so to be eligible for the program, Are all of the applicants on the wait list eligible for the program?
6: That's a good question. I would need to go back and look and um, confer with our program implementation partners. But the 173 uh, number that was on the slide, those folks were all eligible.
0: Got it. Thank you. Um, And then lastly, could you talk a little bit about, I'm not sure that there's, I, I didn't see anything about the... Actual feedback, or if this is in the analysis, around um, the bikers and their thoughts on, you know, bike lanes, um, dangers on the street, etc.,
6: Yes, so we're still currently in the data collection phase. So cohort one will be wrapping later this month, at which point we'll have all three of their surveys. So we take a baseline survey before they get their bikes, a mid-program survey at around two months, and then a final survey, at which point we'll transfer the e-bike ownership. So at that point, once we receive all of that data, plus the data collected through the driver's seat application, we'll begin to do that preliminary analysis. Um, anecdotally, I think the map that was in the slides Um, there are some intersections that folks have felt um, unsafe biking on for a number of different reasons. Um, Some feedback that we've heard is that um, the bike green arrows or the bike green lights are too short so they're unable to make it across the intersections in time which often um, forces them to basically do a pedestrian cross across one street and then a pedestrian cross uh, across another one which can cause some delays. Um, but we're looking forward to doing a more in-depth analysis um, as Cohort 1 officially wraps later this month. Thank you so much.
0: Looking forward to seeing the results of Cohort 2. Thank you. All right. Seeing no further comments from commissioners, I'll open this up for public comment. Speakers will have three minutes.
1: All right, members of the public who are joining us in person, if you would like to provide public comment, please line up to speak on your right. Seeing no one get up to speak, we are going to the remote public comment line. We have Susanna from DT running the public comment line. Uh, Susanna, can you let us know if there's any speakers in the queue? There are no callers, Madam Vice Chair. Seeing
0: no public speakers, public comment is now closed. There is no action to take on this matter. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number four?
1: Yes. item number four is a clean power SF updates including clean power SF activities and LAFCO updates on clean power SF activities we will now hear
0: from deputy assistant general manager for clean power SF Michael Himes please keep your presentation to 10 minutes
9: thank you good morning LAFCO commissioners uh, I'm Mike Himes the deputy assistant general manager for the SFPC's power enterprise responsible for Clean Power SF and our power resources. Um, I'm also joined uh, today online by Peter Galata, our power marketing and communications manager who's available to help answer questions if you have any. Um, uh, If you could bring up the slides, um, that'd be great. Thank you and feel free to advance to the agenda. For our report today, uh, I'll be providing an update on our Clean Power SF customer enrollment and service statistics. Uh, I'll be reviewing recent community events and activities that we've completed and provide an update on our customer programs work. Next slide, please. Clean Power SF continues to successfully serve its customers and participation in the program remains stable. Since the last update we provided to you on these statistics in February, uh, we've seen our overall opt-out rate tick up slightly from 4.4 to 4.5 percent. That's rounding uh, to the nearest tenth of a percent. Uh, We have also seen our enrollment in Supergreen, our voluntary 100 percent renewable energy service, increase from 2.1 to 2.2 percent of all active Clean Power accounts. Due partly to strong commercial customer interest stemming from the city's renewable energy ordinance, super green energy sales have increased to more than 9% of Clean Power SF's total annual retail sales. Uh, And I expect this number to exceed 10% soon. Next slide, please. In April, Clean Power SF launched a multilingual marketing and outreach campaign to encourage San Francisco residents to upgrade their electricity supply service to Supergreen. The Supergreen Upgrade campaign leveraged both digital advertising and in-person activations or events, primarily targeting Clean Power SF renters and customers with moderate to low incomes. Clean Power SF utilized culturally competent messaging and a variety of advertising tactics like paid uh, Facebook and Instagram posts and language spots on Tsingtao Chinese radio and translated ads on Univ- uh, univision.com. With the help of a creative ad agency, Clean Power Staff also developed a 10-foot 10 by 10-foot 10 super green apartment set for in-person activations and or events to engage with San Francisco residents in person. Uh, this eye-catching apartment set, which you can see here in this photo, with our SFPUC general manager and staff members, is painted entirely green and was deployed at a variety of events throughout San Francisco, including the Cherry Blossom Festival in Japantown, Earth Day in Golden Gate Park, and uh, a San Francisco Giants Watch Party in the Mission, organized by the Latino Task Force. A central message behind the green apartment set is that San Franciscans don't have to put solar panels on their roof to clean up their electricity supply. Clean Power SF has got you covered. Visitors were encouraged to take a photo inside the apartment set, tag at mySFPUC on social media to share with their networks and upgrade to Clean Power SF's uh, super green product. The unique setup stood out at events but also allowed SFPUC staff to engage with visitors in a more casual way, like having a conversation in our living room. Staff answered questions on everything from how to read, power bills, to electrification best practices, and interpreters were also available at each event along with translated materials in Spanish, Chinese, and Filipino. We concluded our super green apartments tour of the city this week in the Civic Center Plaza where our team greeted passers-by and met with members of the media. I look forward to seeing the next set of creative ideas that our power communications team comes up with to promote our program services and educate the public. Next slide, please. In August, we moved indoors and hosted a one hour educational webinar called Keeping the Lights On, Electric Grid Reliability and a Changing Climate. This webinar was hosted as part of the agency's ongoing community power updates meetings, which happen quarterly and provide opportunities to update customers, community partners, and the public about SFPUC power programs and initiatives. At the last community power update meeting held in May, attendees expressed interest in learning more about grid reliability and the SFPUC's power resources. Given the the recent frequency of summer heat waves, Uh, that put stress on our grid, we thought this was a timely topic to discuss in August. In this one-hour webinar, we sought to help break down the issue of grid reliability to a non-technical audience. The webinar featured SFPUC subject matter experts who discussed how the grid works in California, how the SFPUC's own generation assets and resource planning are helping to support electricity supply and grid reliability, and what some of the opportunities are to enhance reliability statewide. And the the event was very well received and was our most well-attended community power event uh, meeting uh, this year. We saw more than 360 registrations to the event and 147 attendees. We received many questions from attendees and were struck, struck by the level of interest and engagement on the topic. Following the meeting, we conducted a survey of participants and the vast majority rated the event very highly. Given this success, we're hoping to build on this model and do more educational webinars on electricity topics that help break down the complexity of our business for our customers and for the public. We are looking at hosting our next webinar at the start of the new year. Uh, We're still considering topics, but uh, we're considering uh, a focus on understanding our electricity bills uh, Given the winter, uh, we often find an uptick in concerns about energy bills uh, due to heating and uh, higher usage from lighting. Um, Next slide, please. Okay, to wrap up, let's turn to our Clean Power SF customer programs. Um, This table identifies our operating programs and new customer programs uh, areas under development. Clean PowerSF continues to offer net energy metering for customers that have solar on their roof. Clean PowerSF serves about 10,000 active net energy metering customers. Under this program, we provide bill credits to customers for the excess solar energy they produce and deliver to the grid each month. These credits offset the customer's grid usage and can be drawn down over the course of the year. Our team is putting the finishing touches on the 2023 annual true up process where we evaluate whether the customer produced more solar energy than they consumed and compensate these net producers for their energy. We also offer budget billing for customers that are looking for a stable, for stable consistent monthly electricity bills. This program works in tandem with PG and E's budget billing program for electric delivery charges. Go Solar SF incentives continue to be available for low-income customers that install solar panels. We're also offering a solar inverter replacement program that replaces the essential inverter component for low-income customers that previously installed solar panels under the Go Solar SF program. This program helps keep these customer solar projects operating, and we've seen a very strong uptake for this program with more than 160 applications received and 65 projects completed to date. Peak Day Pricing is a voluntary demand response program that incentivizes large commercial customers to reduce their electricity consumption between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. on event days in the summer and early fall. Event days are called when the grid is expected to be strained, typically due to high temperatures. The 2023 Peak Day Pricing Program commenced on July 1st with about 40 large commercial customers participating. As of this week, we've called nine event days uh, when temperatures across Northern California were forecasted to be at 98 degrees or above. The 2023 season concludes at the end of October, after which we'll evaluate our customers' performance. Customers that reduced their electric demand during the four to nine PM window based on metered usage will receive credits on their Clean Power Set bill. Clean PowerSuff is also participating in a regional heat pump water heater incentive program that provides training and financial incentives to contractors to promote heat pump water heaters. To date, this program has supported the installation of nearly 60 new heat pump water heaters in San Francisco. We're gonna be continuing to work with our regional partners to offer this program through uh, at least 2025 with the goal of creating greater awareness among the contractor community of this important decarbonization technology. Our Super Green Saver program provides 100% renewable energy and a 20% bill discount to qualifying low income customers living in state disadvantaged communities. Uh, With approval from the CPUC this year, Super Green Saver transitioned to auto auto enrollment of qualifying customers using a lottery system. We now have about 1,200 enrolled customers, which is twice what we had in July. Uh, EV Charge SF, um, I've I've spoken about that here before. It's a program designed to align with changes to San Francisco's building code that require developers to provide electric vehicle charging in new parking lots and garages. Uh, This program provides financial incentives and technical assistance to both new and recent construction. Uh, It requires that 10% of the parking spaces be turnkey ready for EV charger installation. We have four customer projects that are in process uh, under this program and expect our first project completion in coming months. We recently expanded the program to include commercial garages, also subject to the EV Readiness Ordinance, and are working on expanding this program to other existing buildings. And finally, we continue to work on new programs, including our Energy Efficiency for Food Services and Disadvantaged Communities solar programs. Uh, we're getting close to issuing our request for proposals for a contractor to implement the food services program and are developing a new solicitation for a community solar project in addition to these two we are also in the process of developing new electrification programs programs that are evaluating uh, that, that we're evaluating in this category cover electric mobility electrification for multifamily housing and electric panel upgrades uh, you can see the the timeline targets for uh, Roll, uh, rolling out these programs uh, on the slide here. So that last slide please. That concludes my presentation. I'm happy to take any uh, questions you may have. Um, but before I do, I, I did want to just take a moment and thank the LAFCO Executive Officer, Jeremy Pollock, and LAFGO Policy Analyst Khalid Samurai for presenting to our Power Enterprise. Um, on the green bank and public bank work uh, that's been underway um, just a few weeks ago Uh, it was a great opportunity to educate our staff members um, and there was a very strong interest shown at the event uh, and a lot of education that i think happened so thank you
0: thank you mr himes Um, commissioner williams hello always good to see you thank you um
8: i was kind of going back in my emails trying to see the um, enrollment and I noticed in January it was still at four hundred nine thousand and I wonder what the average increase is per year um, and then I also wonder and I feel bad for the future intern or fellow who has to aggregate this data but the 409,000, of what their general makeup is average income their age
9: So the 409,000 number on our uh, enrollment statistics, that's actually all of the eligible services within San San Francisco. So um, the SFPUC began enrolling customers into Clean Power Staff in May of 2016 and took a phasing approach. So we launched with particular segments of the city that we had pulled and and had shown very strong interest in a clean energy program like Clean Power Saf uh, to demonstrate that it's viable, it can be successful. And then over the next several years, we expanded and enrolled. Um, we completed citywide enrollment in 2020. So that was uh, wrapping up uh, enrollment, I believe, of all residential customers. There were certain customer classes that we had held back to held back uh, from enrollment, like low-income care customers. Uh, as we were able to see the program's finances and settle and and ensure that we could offer a stable, affordable product. Uh, So that that number that you referenced is effectively all of the eligible service accounts within the city. Um, We're always doing a little bit of additional enrollment um, because new buildings get constructed, uh, new apartments um, become available, for example, uh, so, uh, but that number is not going to change very much. Um, so, yeah, and then the, the demographics, of course, are, are the citywide demographics, um, with the exception of um, some of the areas within the city that are served by our Hetch Hetchy Power Public Utility Service. Uh, so, like the shipyard community, for example, uh, is not eligible for Clean Power SAF because it receives public power service from Hetch Hetchy. Uh, but otherwise, it's, it's citywide.
8: Uh, sorry but the maybe this question is now moot but the last bit of demographics households who lives in them (laughs) what do they look like
9: Um, well let me take this back I think I I don't have the statistics available at the moment um, but generally speaking they would be reflective of the city Um, but if if Maybe if I can ask for a a clarifying question, if what you're interested in is who's actually participating in Clean Power SAF, because that is a subset of the city, um, we could look at some of those demographics.
8: Um, I suppose that is a good question. I was just kind of generalizing the entire piece, Um, but I think whatever you think is most applicable and makes the most sense in terms of the data that you could share, would be very okay. Yeah, yeah I'm happy to coordinate
9: uh, offline with the executive officer, and you know, help paint a picture of of the demographics if if that's of interest.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Commissioner Williams. Um, my questions are three parts. One, the Super Greensaver. Did you say that there are double the amount of program participants since July? Yes, I did. What do you think accounts for that jump?
9: Yeah. What What accounts for it is um, when When we started the Super Green Saver program, uh, we took the approach of we had a kind of a two part or tiered enrollment structure. Um, we auto enrolled. Well, so I should actually take a step back. Super Green Saver is our branding for uh, the disadvantaged communities green tariff program that the CPUC created a few years ago and gave CCAs the opportunity to participate in and this is a program that um, offers hundred percent California certified RPS renewable portfolio standard energy from projects to be developed uh, within Uh, disadvantaged communities within the state so it doesn't need to be here in San Francisco necessarily but it can be throughout the state in these disadvantaged communities Um, and supplies that power to uh, low-income customers residing within state-defined disadvantaged communities. So in San Francisco um, that's structured by census tract um, and determined through the um, state EPA's CalEnviroScreen tool um, there are—I don't know exactly offhand how many census tracts there are. I want to say there's like 30 or 40, but um, they're principally located in the southeast portion of the city, um, in the Tenderloin and the SOMA. Um, but so that—that's the sort of geographic zone um, for this program, and uh, eligible customers have to be CARE or FERA eligible. Those are the low-income electric discount programs um, that are offered within our service area. Um, The funding that we received from the CPUC wasn't sufficient to enroll all of the eligible customers. We have about 8,000. So we had to determine a method for bringing customers into the program. And uh, what we opted for at at the start of this was to auto-enroll low-income customers that had enrolled into an arrearage management plan program. What we were trying to accomplish this was coming out of the pandemic was to, to cre- create a, a sort of incentive to participate in that program too because it has significant benefits including debt forgiveness um, so the first group sort of cohort of enrollees that we had which is about 750 or so uh, were our um, eligible customers that are also on the amp program the Arrears management program uh, that, that number doesn't hit our program limit of about 1,200 accounts. Uh, we hadn't received authorization from the CPC to conduct auto-enrollment for everyone. And because there isn't enough capacity to serve everyone, uh, we, we sought and received approval for a lottery-based approach to um, bring the enrollment up to the limit that we have.
0: Got it. So the limit is determined by how much the CPUC granted Clean Power staff.
9: That's right. Yeah, it's sort of like our pro rata share of the funding available um, across pg service area.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Um, and then second, remind please remind me of the difference between the Disadvantaged Communities program and the Gulf Solar SF program.
9: Yeah, so the first difference is the geographic restrictions that I mentioned before um, that apply specifically to Super Green Saver. But the other major difference is that Go Solar SF is providing incentives to put rooftop solar on, on these customers' buildings. So the nature of the programs is very different in that one is providing cash to help bring down the cost of installing solar. And the other is providing the renewable energy sort of through the grid service. Um, and that's super green saver.
0: Got it. Thank you. Um, and then lastly, I'm wondering if, I mean, I'm still hearing nightmares about people, not even necessarily low income, but homeowners in general having a really tough time. Um, even with all of the great incentives that we offer and that Bay Rent offers, I um, Decarbonizing their homes because of PG&E. PG&E throwing the book at them when it comes to and their contractors when it comes to things like um, where to place, um, think the electrical panels and all these other kinds of things. The um, the other challenges with like certain blocks and the um, the the sheer load onto the grid. I'm just wondering. How does Clean Power SF see its role in supporting customers who want to um, electrify their homes?
9: Yes, great question. Um, There are a number of challenges out there, no doubt about it. Um, What we're focusing on in the programs I mentioned that we were developing are really, you know, I think two principal things, but this is an exclusive. I mean, these are under development right now, and we're certainly open to input from you all as, as we do this. Um, uh, you know, w- one is affordability um, and helping, especially those members of our community who may have difficulty covering the cost of doing these kinds of upgrades. So. Uh, we're looking, you know, through various mechanisms, incentives, um, but maybe other things too that could deliver a bigger bang at some point. Um, technical assistance is another area that we've identified that's of need. Uh, we recently um, it, we recently had a campaign uh, to promote uh, decarb and electrification called um, "Breaking Up with Gas." Uh, there was a very strong response and one thing that we noted were there are a lot of people looking for information and looking for just like to talk to somebody. So um, we're we're very much looking at how we can provide um, scalable technical assistance. Uh, BayRen is one provider of that. Um, We're certainly working with sort of the regional uh, program providers uh, to make, you know, try to create some synthesis too uh, since we are part of a region. but I'd say, you know, affordability and the technical incentives. The technical, or sorry, the technical um, assistance. The technical assistance can certainly be an avenue for helping address with things like pg and and service upgrades and things like that that may be coming up. Um, you know, there are. I've, I've heard a lot of stories too about the amount of time it takes to get pg and to help um, with an upgrade, with a service upgrade. Um, that's really frustrating to people who are sort of ready to do it now. Uh, so, um, you know, I think, um, you know, the, the city is looking at acquiring the distribution system. I think uh, taking uh, that responsibility on is one way that the city, obviously a very, very major way, um, can uh, ensure that um, you know, we're meeting our overall goals and helping our citizens and customers achieve theirs.
0: Thank you so much all right um, we will now hear from executive officer Jeremy Pollock with an update on LAFCO activities related to clean power SF uh,
10: great thank you very much Jeremy Pollock LAFCO executive officer and gonna be uh, presenting on our recent work uh, related to the the special studies we're undertaking as part of our MOU with uh, SFPUC and Clean Power SF and uh, SFGovTV, if you can pull up the slides I'm sharing. And so my presentation is gonna be focused on our work related to the study on Green Bank Financing. Um, uh, The Last few months, we've really been focused on uh, studying how the city can access um, funding through the Inflation Reduction Act, specifically the EPA's Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, which has uh, funding dedicated towards uh, green bank entities and uh, lending for, for greenhouse gas reduction projects. And so we've convened uh, uh, interdepartment meetings and really appreciate uh, the participation from SFPUC, the Department of the Environment, and the Treasurer Tax Collector's Office on that. Uh, And like Mr. Heim said, uh, uh, Mr. Samurai and I presented at a lunch and learn session with the PUC Power Enterprise staff that was uh, partially going over the the plans from the reinvestment working group for uh, Municipal Finance Corporation and Public Bank, and then also talking about um, how... um, how those plans could intersect with the possibility of creating a green bank and accessing the, these uh, federal funds, and really appreciated the engagement from PUC leadership and staff on that, uh, on uh, trying to understand how a green bank works, how a public bank works, and then also thinking about potential programs that um, the PUC could, could design or um, expand to, to leverage um, uh, this EPA funding and a green bank lending. Um, and so uh, we've also been very busy meeting with uh, the coalitions that are p- preparing to apply for the GGRF that I'm going to get into shortly. Um, been um, just p- picking the brains of all the other people that are, are trying to understand these, uh, these applications that are moving very quickly. And also had a good conversation with uh, iBank, which is the, uh, California's green bank, officially called the California Infrastructure and Economic Development Bank. Um, they are uh, looking to coordinate California's efforts on these funds and are um, eager to support San Francisco uh, in whatever way makes sense in in these this green lending area, and they also connected us with folks in uh, Los Angeles who are um, uh, advising the City of LA on the potential of creating a green bank for themselves down there to access these GGRF funds. Uh, and so this slide shows the, the details on the two, there's three funds within the, the GGRF and these two, the National Clean Investment Fund and the Clean Communities Investment Accelerator are focused on green lending programs. And um, it's um, October 12th is the application deadline. There is basically a 90-day window from the notice of funding opportunity to this application deadline and uh, set off a, a scramble of activity for across the nation of people looking to access these funds. Um, um, a couple of other notes on, on this slide. Uh, the eligible product projects are the same for both of these funds. Uh, they can, um, can fund lending for distributed power generation and storage, uh, net zero buildings, but essentially building electrification and energy efficiency and net zero transportation and, and charging projects. Um, and then the purpose there gets a little into the weeds and sh- sort of shows that the um, I think there's a sort of struggle among uh, applicants and even I would imagine with the EPA trying to understand the program design of these two projects, these two funds, and how they intersect and, and differ. And I think that's going to be a continuing learning process for all of us through, uh, th- through the submission of these applications next month and then through uh, the awarding of funds next year. And so now I'm going to go over to summarize um, recent findings of what we've learned on, on this. Um, and firstly, just sort of want to emphasize that um, the, this NCIF and CCIA just show uh, a real intention of the drafters of the Inflation Reduction Act to prioritize green lending as opposed to, to one-time grants and um, just a really significant investment in the green financing space that um, is looking to, to leverage private capital and philanthropy to expand the, the effect of those funds and also um, ensure that those funds are reused as the, those loans are repaid and reissued, that we're continuing to, to get that money cycling through uh, future electrification and, and greenhouse gas reduction projects. Um, and so, um, yeah, things are moving very quickly. Uh, there's just sort of uh, a lot of chaos, to be frank, across the the country and coalitions forming and trying to understand these these applications. Um, and the EPA is putting emphasis on on near-term projects that can um, can hit the ground and and put money to use, you know, as soon as possible, basically within. Uh, people are talking about a focus of the next six to 24 months of wanting to see uh, after the funding is awarded to see that being lent out and, and getting projects in the ground. Um, and so uh, there's a number of coalitions that are, are forming and working with frontline community lenders across the country to identify these kind of projects. And we've uh, talked with several of these coalitions, and they're all basically encouraging uh, Green Bank and other community lender entities to to partner with multiple of these coalitions. And so, um, you know, we're going to be seeing a handful of applications and grant awards, and um, a lot of them are going to be working with the same people. And so, it's going to be, um, yeah, a lot of a lot to be determined between now and next summer when the when the money is is coming out into the into the community. Um, and I think the encouraging thing we've learned is that San Francisco is really well positioned to, to access these funds for starting up a green bank. Um, there's um, a lot of these applicants are, are really anticipating that um, there's just, there isn't enough capacity in the green banking world to, to put to work all of this funding, and they're preparing technical assistance to help with, with green banks that are just getting established now. Um, and with one of the coalitions we heard from them that um, the, the business and governance plans from the reinvestment working group for municipal finance corporation and having that balance sheet and that plan already prepared really um, sort of puts us at, um, you know, towards the top of that list of, of nascent green banks and nascent and emerging green banks is how they're often referred to. Um, and so, um, yeah, we're excited to see that progress and also really excited to see city departments um, jumping into action on this. Uh, Department of the Environment has been engaging with several of these coalitions and is working on drafting uh, letters of interest to, to join these applica- uh, coalitions. Um, PUC has been engaged on that, and I believe they're preparing um, a list of potential projects that um, could benefit from, from this financing. And we'll be reviewing those letters of interest for joining the applications. Uh, Department of the Environment is also engaged with Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, um, looking at how this could um, um, how this funding could help with electrifying affordable housing in the city. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I think you know, I think that last uh, our last LAFCO meeting, we had anticipated that the opportunity for San Francisco to engage in this funding would be next year once the funds were awarded. And the encouragement we've heard is that, um, you know, we should, San Francisco should move quick and submit letters of interest to, to join these coalitions. And um, I, there was some question about whether, you know, would that be possible? Is that uh, requiring any sort of like binding commitment from the city that might be tr- difficult to turn around in this short time frame? And most of these coalitions are are basically looking for a letter of interest and sort of some sort of signaling of what our intended programs are um, that isn't um, committing the city to anything without any um, commitment of of funds or risk and that there will be a a subsequent application process for the formal arrangement next year from from the coalitions that win funding. Um, And so... Um, with getting that answer um, you know city departments are moving quickly to see if we can, can submit letters to join these applications in the next uh, really in the next weeks or two um, and so lastly um, uh, you know our recommendation is that the that the city should continue to develop this this green financing capacity um, you know as quickly and robustly as possible with a target of of accessing these funds as they become available next year and um, and that you know involves activities like continuing to identify shovel-ready projects that that could um, could put financing and lending to work, um, establishing the green bank along the lines of the municipal finance corporation, uh, and recommended by the reinvestment working group, um, and then continuing to look at at partners uh, with. Uh, our CDFIs and credit unions to, to look at lending programs in the city, uh, looking at funding sources from philanthropy and um, private capital um, as looking f- as we try to build out the balance sheet of what a green bank could look like in San Francisco. Um, and then lastly, I think the technical assistance capacity is, is really gonna uh, be a key part to putting this money to work, I think you know, basically what we're talking about largely is a whole, you know, large-scale electrification of the housing stock in San Francisco. And that's a really complicated labor-intensive process. And I think especially with the GGRF funds being targeted for low-income and disadvantaged communities, those folks are going to need support in, in jumping through the hoops of all the, the complicated uh, process of, you know, re- replacing their stoves and uh, heat pump and their water heaters and furnaces with heat pumps and navigating all the layered uh, incentives and lending. And I think as much as, as the city can develop a process to make that a one-click process of here, click this this button and agree to this and um, it, all in the background, we'll make this happen off of your Clean Power SF bill and um, at you know we'll see a reduction in your in your bill, and the, this loan will be p- repaid on your Clean Power SF bill um, at the same time that we're going to do this energy efficiency and electrification work for your home. Um, I think a lot of basically a lot of technical assistance work to make these these projects work well for for San Franciscans and to be able to scale this up to to move quickly to put as much money as is available to work in San Francisco. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the 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 near term work that we're imagining um, to to get ready for these kinds of programs. This table um, shows a summary of of the coalitions that we're aware of that are looking to apply for these funds um, and sort of updates on our our contact with with them um, And so um, yeah, basically very encouraging to see. Um, you know, this, this handful of coalitions encouraging San Francisco to join them. And uh, each are doing similar programs, but are bringing kind of um, their own kind of unique expertise and uh, designing different kinds of programs. Um, and so we're encouraged to see the city, you know, indicating its interest to join these coalitions um, and then continue to work with them as we develop a, a, a Green Bank uh, plan for the city. And then uh, look to see what kind of technical assistance they can provide for us to help us in standing that up, um, if and when they get the, uh, the the funding next year. And so, uh, and then this uh, slide is looking ahead to that um, that medium term. Um, you know, for the last month or two, we've really been focused on understanding this this GGRF landscape, and now we're looking to to define sort of the scope of work for a near-term study on green bank financing that can um, look to advance this work Um, and so looking for input from commissioners on these types of topics of you know what is the most impactful um, use of of LAFCO's efforts and considering uh, we're developing an RFP for a consultant that could help with this work and really looking for, you know, one or maybe two of these, of these bullet points to, to focus on trying to get some work done quickly to be able to inform the, um, and advance the development of a green bank next year in San Francisco. Um. And so, um, as I said, our next steps, we're going to continue in the short term with supporting uh, departments and submitting letters of interest for these applications. And then we'll shift focus to uh, continuing to develop these Green Bank plans um, through meeting with stakeholders, developing an RFP, and then finalizing the scope and kicking off a study um, and hoping to do sort of a a quick phase one of a study to be uh, completed early next year to, to feed into supporting that uh, work of standing up a green bank next year. And that concludes my presentation. And um, yeah, we'll welcome any uh, comments and questions. Uh, we also have our policy analyst, Khaled Samurai, who has been instrumental in all of this work and wrangling all of this. Um, and just uh, appreciate Mr. Himes uh, from the CPU, from SFPUC and his staff's engagement on this. and. Um, also want to thank uh, City Comerford from the Department of the Environment has been very engaged in this process as well as other staff at SFE. Um, and then also want to give a, a thank you to Reinvestment Working Group member Sylvia Chi who um, with, as part of her advocacy work and as part of her day job has really been uh, in the weeds on this and has been a, a great um, guide for us in, in making connections with these coalitions and, and seeking to understand these, um, these applications.
0: Thanks so much, Executive Officer Pollack. Um, I'm super excited about this, and I think if any city is set up to do it, it is this one to uh, launch a green bank and really scale up the, the impact that the IRA funds provide us. So much thanks to um, uh, Mr. Himes and the SFPC for engaging on a green bank. Um, much thanks to Colin and and you, Mr. Pollock, about Um, all the work that you put in. And um, one thing that occurs to me right now is I just saw an update that the Board of Supervisors is going to consider a resolution um, from Board President Peskin that directs the city administrator to align a lot of different departments on um, different plans for harnessing the IRA funds. So it sounds like that's a good next step to engage with them. And then I also want to uh, highlight something that I think um, hasn't really been the crux of this, but maybe, hopefully, they can be accounted for in the, the number of different stakeholders that we're engaging on this. So affordable housing developers and really any property management entity that um, is responsible for tenants, especially, who are living in, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of substandard housing stock in San Francisco, and I can think of public housing, some SROs who have dealt with some really grotesque challenges, and I wonder um, if, you know, weatherization and energy efficiency go hand in hand, and as do, you know, really basic standards around quality of living. So I'm wondering if we could potentially involve affordable housing developers, um, other housing nonprofits that maybe are not yet clued into this opportunity and who can potentially, um, especially when we're dealing with um, any housing stock related to the city funds, Addressing that landlord-renter split incentive, I know as a renter myself, I've dealt with this, trying to weatherize my own apartment, and it's just such an uphill battle to go through alone, but this is a real opportunity to actually improve the quality of living for a lot of tenants in San Francisco, so um, I'm super excited about that, and maybe we can talk more offline about how we how we do that. Commissioner Williams. Um
8: Hello, Rockstar staff that we barely deserve. Thank you so much for all the work that you do and working collaboratively with so many different partners. Um, I was wondering, back to the Green Bank financing study and the recent findings, uh, it says lending instead of one-time grants, so I'm assuming those are loans, and I was wondering if you knew the terms of the loan. And um, also looking at the number of coalitions, I'm assuming it's a blend of state and national and um, finally to the point uh, that Commissioner Fielder brought up which I so appreciate uh, housing is my sickness so uh, really love that she was able to highlight that um, I think where the funding would go and the improvement of quality of life for these tenants I believe would probably lead to more legislation that we would have to pass in order to protect them considering that landlords more often than not consider profit over people and it might affect their housing. So I'm just putting that out there to our supervisors on this commission. And um, but Yes, so I suppose the terms of the loan, uh, how you feel about the coalitions, and um, yeah, just as a plug for future tenant protections. Any, any thoughts on that? Not really a question in there, but thank you.
10: Yeah, those are excellent questions. I think on the terms of the loans, uh, that's mostly to be determined. I think um, we've seen some details of that from some of the coalitions, and to be honest, a lot of it is pretty deep in the in the financial weeds. And and talking about, um, yeah, you know, we've seen some presentations on, you know, uh, a loan program that would offer lending at half a basis point above um, what the uh, what the coalition is receiving the money from to, for the first number of months and then transitioning to sort of different levels like that. So I think um, a lot of that is to be worked out. I think something that we've heard a lot of questions about is how do we reconcile this being a lending program with the requirements that this funding either mostly or entirely um, benefit low-income and disadvantaged communities that um, you know typically low-income communities don't have funding line around to to pay back a a loan over 15 20 years and so um, assuming that we're going to be looking at how do we package these lends this lending with all of the other incentives that are in the ira that give rebates on these things so that uh, essentially that a low-income community is going to be paying back a loan that's going to be more than offset by their reduction in in energy costs is um, is my my goal for that and um, yeah, I don't know if, Mr. Samurai, if you have any other thoughts to, to add on details of the lending programs we're
11: hearing about. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, <clears throat> thank you for your question, uh, Commissioner. F- from the EPA, the funding will be distributed to these nonprofit hubs across the country. That will not be a loan that will be given to them. They will cr- then loan that money out further to places like San Francisco to do all these amazing projects. Within the requirements, um, there's two sets of requirements. One uh, is based on income specifically. So the uh, NCIF, 40% of that has to, um, the language isn't clear, but be focused on low income and disadvantaged communities. And then for the CCIA, 100% of that has to be focused on that. And then there's qualified projects. So what can it be used for? And one of the main areas is uh, weatherization of affordable housing. Uh, specifically, multifamily affordable housing. So the EPA is envisioning this. The applicants to the EPA are envisioning this, and, and so are we. Our concern here at, in San Francisco is how to ensure that um, we also provide these uh, the low income community agency in um, using this funding and uh, making sure that um, they're part of their own solution.
8: Thank you so much.
10: Yeah, and then I would also offer. I think it's it's an excellent point about the need for tenant protections as we're imagining large scale energy efficiency and retrofits across uh, across the housing stock. And um, yeah, we'll definitely be looking to see how these programs are are designing that. That we're going to be um, you know working with these coalitions and would definitely look to the Board of Supervisors for for leadership on making sure that um, our tenant protections are are up to snuff and, and going to ensure that's uh, that's part of these programs.
8: Thank
7: you. Okay. Thanks. Uh, so I, I've definitely commented quite a bit on Green Bank and Public Bank and some of the other things that, that overlap here, so I won't go back over that ground. I just, and, and thank you, um, Chair and, and, uh, and Commissioner Williams, for your for your questions and comments and I, I just on that last point which i think is a really important one and i appreciate the discussion just want to note that you know we have various models right with different grant programs that ex- that have existed in San Francisco so it's not just a matter of like what does say the rent ordinance say about a tenant's rights it's also the terms of these various programs so an example would be you know there there have been there have been programs where um, where a private landlord may get funding or a loan to do lead abatement work, but part of receiving that loan is actually signing off on certain commitments, including continuing to rent uh, to low-income renters over a specified period of time. That prevents a landlord from taking the funds and then turning around and invoking the Act to kick everyone out of their homes or something like that. So um, so some of this can be in actual, when you get to the point of, of what the terms of the grants and loans will be, making sure that they have sufficient uh, protections and, and using the best practices from some of the other programs that that we've deployed locally. But I appreciate everyone raising that, and we should definitely make sure that's, that's built into these programs as the funds start to flow.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Preston. Um, Sorry, last thought on this. Uh, It also occurs to me that we have plenty of public schools that could use weatherization, and I know that there's funds from a completely different federal program. Um, I want to say it's, I can't remember the acronym, but we can definitely, should look into that too. How do we stack them? Um, But thank you so much, um, Mr. Himes, Executive Officer Pollock, for presenting today. And at this point, uh, we can open this up for public comment. Speakers will have three minutes.
1: Thank you, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on item number four, the Clean Power SF updates. If you are joining us here in person, please line up to speak now on your right. Seeing no public comment commenters, we will go to the remote comment line. We do have one person in the queue. Susanna, could you put the first, first caller through? You will have three minutes.
4: So I've listened to the presentation because some people called me and said if I was listening to y'all and they were surprised that I was listening to y'all. So as far as PG&E is concerned, if you want to badmouth pj and e I think it's better to have PG&E in the room so that they can clarify what PG&E does and what SFPUC does and what LAFCO can do as far as helping the people. Y'all do not have the resources. Y'all don't have the expertise. And uh, so you can talk bad about PG&E, but y'all can't do the work and y'all don't have the resources. Even when it comes to paying the bill, we have to pay it through and e So that says it all. As to the green banking, uh, that is a very convoluted issue. And as far as we are talking about the coalitions, we do not want the others to talk on behalf of the coalition. It's better to bring the Two or three coalitions to your meetings and have them express what they are doing. So, what Lesko is doing now by taking on subjects that they do not know, where they don't have goals, where they don't have timelines, you are just mudding the waters. And you are mudding the waters because you are not educated on issues. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for your comments, Mr. DaCosta. Susanna, do we have any other callers in the queue? Madam Vice Chair, that
0: concludes the public comment queue. Thank you. Seeing no other public speakers, public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number five?
1: Item number five is a draft study proposal for the Golden Gate Energy Act, California Senate Bill 350. Members of the public who wish to provide comment on that item, on this item, should line up to speak or press star three if you're joining us remotely. And for the record, Madam um, Vice Chair, item number four, there was no action taken.
0: Thank you. All right, now we will hear from Travis Gabriel and Antonio Diaz from Reclaim Our Power Campaign for Utility Justice. If you could please keep your presentation 10 minutes, that would be much appreciated.
3: Thank you, commissioners. Um, My name's Antonio Diaz. Uh, I'm with Poder and the uh, Reclaim Our Power Utility Justice Campaign. And thank you for the slide deck. I apologize not being there in person with all of you at City Hall, uh, but uh, just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the, the work that we've been doing with, uh, with the LAFCO, the study proposal building on previous uh, work that uh, we presented to, to this commission. Um, next slide, please. I'll be providing some context for what Travis will, will um, dive more deeply into in terms of the, um, the study proposal. Uh, but just to say that the, uh, the, the Reclaim Our Power uh, um, coalition is the, is, uh, the largest uh, coalition uh, working and organizing for energy transformation in California, uh, working to move us from a monopoly utility to community power. It uh, organizes and mobilizes um, fire survivors, uh, organizations in environment, uh, and environmental justice communities, youth, people with disabilities, workers and energy justice advocates. Next slide, please. The uh, the, the context of our work is the fact that uh, PG&E is a failing utility. Uh, part of the impetus of us organizing was because of the uh, devastating wildfires that were occurring on a frequent basis, uh, because of the uh, crumbling equipment of uh, PG&E, the fact that instead of uh, investing in maintenance and upgrades, they instead were funneling uh, ratepayer money to executive bonuses and shareholder profits. Uh, this is an unfortunate listing of some of the fires that were caused by PG&E the acres burned and the deaths that were caused by this, um, by this utility's malfeasance. Next slide, please. At the same time that, uh, that the wildfires were occurring, the, uh, the utility was getting billions of dollars to, uh, uh, for the, their mitigation costs, but they were passing out those, those costs to ratepayers. As we've have seen, uh, we've have rising bills uh, ongoing. We've got more rate hikes from PG&E uh, this year. Uh, so, have, have instead of internalizing the cost of their of their failures, they uh, externalize them. Also, as an approach to the um, to dealing with uh, the fires, they implemented the uh, public safety power shutoffs that put uh, uh, at risk disabled people. Elderly and low-income people. Their approach, uh, 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 the PSPS, and we like to call it as PSPS, a very uh, um, a wrong-headed approach to dealing with um, with the lack of uh, maintenance and upgrades. Next slide, please. And in particular, we've seen the impacts of the of um, of their failures in San Francisco. We all remember the uh, orange-tinged days that we uh, and, and poor air quality. That uh, we experienced because of the um, of the wildfires of um, that, that were caused across the region. At the same time, and Commissioner Fielder uh, made reference to this, that the challenges with uh, a PG&E around uh, the um, specific um, um, uh, issues that the city and residents have had in terms of making uh, improvements, uh, and and in, whether it's around electrification or even energy in in, uh, in housing and other it's institutions for the, that serve uh, residents of San Francisco. Next slide, please. And so we're here to talk about this uh, study proposal, which is an alternative. Uh, Golden State Energy, which Travis will uh, walk us through in a minute. It uh, it, it exists on paper. It, it was something that was legislated through SB 350, um, a skeleton of which was um, was uh, was uh, articulated, and we've been working with allies to make make this real, make make uh, Golden State Energy uh, a, a real choice to the current uh, uh, investor-owned utility. And I think this is it in keeping with uh, some of the other agenda items before you today, in terms of how, how uh, San Francisco is leading the way, uh, not only with clean power SF and um, municipal bank, but really looking at how we can transform our future, and in particular, in this instance, our utility future. And with that, I'll turn it over to Travis.
12: Hi, uh, my name is Travis Jabrile. I'm the Microgrids Project Manager with Reclaim Our Power Utility Justice Campaign. Um, I have some slides. Jeremy's on it. Next slide. Thanks. Okay, so as an Antonio mentioned, uh, SB350 created the Golden State Energy Act in 2020. Um, it exists uh, essentially as a backstop if pg and should fail. Uh, it included a six-step process that, that, you know, defined how the CPUC would move PG&E through these accelerating uh, stages of what they would consider failure and if it were to reach um, the sixth step then eventually they would lose their business license and uh, would be replaced by Golden State Energy. Uh, the problem with that is they they were put into that six step process um, and then the Dixie Fire happened um, and burned almost a million acres in California and instead of that process accelerating like it, it was supposed to they were moved out of out of the six step process. So. There's a way in which it's clear that the that, you know, the CPUC and the state aren't actively trying to hold um, PG&E accountable. Uh, our campaign has been working on that, and uh, we've we've met with a lot of crickets. Um, and it's also uh, you know clear through the the skeletal nature of what Golden State Energy is that. They, they never took the time to define it you know it was never clearly laid out and so we uh, feel as though we the people of California need to take it into our own hands to define what is this utility and and why is it different from PG&E how is it different and how does it uh, meet the needs um, of, of the people so a few things to know about it it's a not-for-profit public benefit corporation um, it would be a receiver for PG&E's assets. So basically all that is PG&E would be transfer- transferred over to Golden State Energy. Um, and that's about it. That's all we know. So, so this study is to, to answer some of the questions of, of what it could be um, and, and how, how it would uh, solve our problems. So next slide, please. Um, so an important uh, idea is Golden State Energy is a provider of last resort, so that means uh, that well, one of the ways we have been looking at it is that those like San Francisco and San Jose who want to municipalize, they can, right? Um, written into, this, uh, you know, uh, written into a, a fleshed out utility is a, a simple, easy process by which um, various jurisdictions could form their own utilities if they wanted to. But the, the folks we're really focused on are those who don't have the capacity. Um, so we want to make sure that they're still guaranteed safe, reliable, and affordable energy. Um, one of the big issues that we see with the balkanization of, of a big utility such as pg and is that there could be huge disparities in rates um, for the people in the various districts based off of, you know, what, the, what infrastructure they're, they're, they're dealing with. Um, and so we, we, we want a solution that involves a, a socialization of the costs across the whole system, um, but that still enables local control and local power for those who, who want it. Next slide, please. Um, publicly accountable financing, you know, PG&E is is an investor-owned for-profit corporation. You know, what Golden State Energy could be um, is is, is, is transparent in a way that that, uh, the incumbent is not. as a not-for-profit, we get, first off gain access to lower interest rates, which would would translate to to lower um, to rates for the ratepayers. Um, but the I bank, as was just mentioned by by Jeremy, is actually currently legislated to offer special bond and loan rates to Golden State Energy beca- as a as serving in the public interest. And so, so right there, there's a um, a vehicle for for lowering rates. Um, and it's also an interesting uh, idea that uh, there would be more democratic avenues for raising money for the infrastructure. So that could be through municipal bonds, um, that could be through ballot initiatives. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a way that the people of the state would, would relate to their utility in a different way. So next slide, please. Um, yeah, and and along with that, uh, electricity rates would be set in a different way. Um, so you know, currently they're they're set by the CPUC based on what PG&E says that they need to charge, and that includes legally guaranteed profits if they do any infrastructure uh, upgrades, such as transmission lines. They have a guaranteed seven to ten percent uh, rate of return built into that, um, and also their liabilities. Every time they burn down a town or burn burn down a a mountain range. Um, the shareholders don't have to pay for that. We have to pay for that, um, and so uh, so yeah. So how and, and that all goes into our rates. So you know so how could it be different with Golden State Energy? You know, infrastructure projects and budgets are set with an eye without an eye to the dividends of the shareholders, but to what's in the in the, the public interest. Um, seems like a radical idea, but um, you know, uh, shouldn't all utilities work that way? Um, and, and there are some other ideas that we'd like to explore, such as elected boards, performance-based metrics. Um, ways in which different jurisdictions can have different strategies for equity based on their specific needs. Um, but a, a, a more robust study would cover, would cover a lot of the, uh, those questions. Next slide, please. Uh, so then, yeah, we, we know that the grid is made up of, of two essential components, uh, the transmission system and the distribution system. Next slide. So for the transmission system, as, as I mentioned, right now, the, you know, every time they build, um, A transmission line, there's a a built-in 7 to 10% rate of return. This is where they make a lot of their profits. Uh, By some estimates, about 60% of our bills um, are paying for the transmission lines, and so there is a structural incentive for them to overbuild and build out um, transmission lines. We're not saying that we're against transmission lines, but we're saying if we remove the profit incentive from it, then perhaps the strategies for how California builds our, uh, our grid of the future would be different. And maybe that could involve more of a local build out on the distribution network, um, which would be more supportive of local economies um, and could lead to more resilience if you have more energy generation uh, closer to the end users. Next slide. Um, And along the line of the distribution network, uh, we're interested in exploring what's called a DSO model. This has been gaining a lot of traction within like energy uh, policy circles um, but you know so it's basically a neutral third party that's responsible for balancing um, the distribution system so currently we have kaiso for the transmission system but uh, for the distribution system it's still privately owned by pg e and so a lot of the complaints that we hear from from uh, people in our coalition are the ways in which they gatekeep various projects that people want to build right if they're not actively um, aligned with with the profit motive of PG&E, then they can just they can slow walk things, they can block them. So if we had a neutral third party that was in charge of the interconnection process, um, then it would open up a whole world of competition for local DERs, uh, distributed uh, energy resources, um, to compete on the open market, um, and um, and it would allow you know local um, uh, local organizations to build out. Um, larger scale energy generation in San Francisco or in Oakland, uh, where I live. Um, uh, w- yeah, with, w- without, without having projects like that blocked. So, um, next slide, please. Yeah, and finally, uh, within, within our framework, uh, you know, the guiding principle of, of how we would like to see this new utility uh, be created uh, follows the lines of a just transition um, next slide and, and a just transition is you know is a uh, a transition to uh, to life ways and in, in economic ways that that center um, the health and well-being of the people in the planet as opposed to a more extractive economy that's based on you know uh, uh, optimizing profits for shareholders um, so yeah, some of the things that we see, and, and obviously there's like a lot more space to to go deeper with like a more robust study, trying to flesh out what is Golden State Energy. But you know, we're imagining a path for phasing out residential and commercial fossil fuel usage, um, actively repairing the harms of the fossil fuel generation system. Um, you know, uh, it's it's well known that uh, you know, a lot of the siting of, of you know gas power plants and, and whatnot are. are inevitably in, in low-income uh, communities of color. And so we would like to see the uh, the new utility of the future actively repairing uh, the harms that have been caused in the past. Uh, ensuring equitable access to clean, renewable energy. Uh, you know, questions around uh, uh, workers' jobs and pension guarantees and whatnot. You know, the, the needs of labor, the needs of the people who've been uh, running these systems uh, for, for years. Um, and yeah, also the the reality that rural and urban people have and communities have, have different needs, right? And so um, so to be able to center the specific needs of, of different communities. Next slide please. Yeah, so our, in conclusion, you know, we support a vision for local control for San Francisco. We're, we're strongly in support of that. And we want it to happen in a way that lifts up low-income, vulnerable people throughout all of Northern California in the process. If San Francisco uh, fights this drawn-out legal battle to, to create their own utility, what if we, we fought one fight and, and created Golden State Energy and then every jurisdiction throughout Northern California could decide what was best for them? So this is a, a, a vision of solidarity with all the people. Uh, in the northern part of the state. Um, so, um, yeah, that's that's my presentation. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you so much, Antonio and Travis. Really appreciate it. Um, Commissioner Williams. This is funny, I told
8: Commissioner Fielder that I wouldn't ask too many questions today, and I think I'm talking the most. Um, thank you so much for this work. I really appreciate it um, and everything that you do. I think the reason I'm asking so many questions is just because I'm so excited about Green Bank and energy. Um, And part of your presentation, it featured that photo of one of the worst days I can ever remember in San Francisco where it was just dark the entire time and the sky and the air was bright red and we were all suffocating. Um, Nightmarish comes to mind uh, and I also, uh, attribute that to CPUC and PG&E, uh, which was so gloriously illustrated in the California Auditor's report. So if you want to, if you feel like not sleeping for the rest of your life, you should read that report because it is terrifying. Um, and uh, Newsom safely declaring it as PG&E, a safe company, and then also collecting $200,000 is, you know, quite the coincidence. but. I wonder, are there other models? You might have spoke to this already, but I was just reading more about it um, in other ways, but are there other models in the country or are we about to be the first again? Uh, same bill, I mean.
12: Yeah, so in Maine, actually this, this uh, election season, they have a ballot initiative um, that's, that's on the ballot. They're gonna vote on transforming their investor-owned utility to a public utility. And our coalition is going to be at a, gather, a national gathering in October, um, talking about how they succeeded and, uh, and what we can learn from them. So,
0: Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Williams. Wow, I did not know that. That's so exciting. Um, I also didn't know that PG&E's profits are legally guaranteed. Did you say 7 to 10%? 7 to 10% uh,
12: rate, of, uh, rate of return. Um, So undergrounding wires uh, is part of that, Um, building out new transmission lines. It's it's large-scale infrastructure projects that has a a built-in rate of return.
0: Can you say more about how transmission lines, what's the incentive for that, again, for them?
12: What's the incentive? So
0: transmission lines, you know, what is the incentive? I don't understand that relationship between transmission lines and profits.
12: Yeah, yeah, so it's, you know, when they're they're deciding what upgrades need to happen, you know, there, as was mentioned before, you know, so a fun fact about, about their equipment is that um, most of the infrastructure has like a you know like a, a, a lifespan of about sixty years. That's how how long the the, the towers and the lines should be there. And the average uh, la- amount of time that, that one of those towers has been out in the field has been ninety years in California, right? And so a lot of a lot of these failures that we're seeing is because the equipment is just well past its usable lifespan. Right? And um, for decades, they had the ability to do maintenance on that, but they decided to, to put it towards uh, dividends for shareholders. With transmission lines, when it, so when it become, comes to questions of how do they want to do maintenance and repair, it's much more profitable for them to build new lines, for them to, um, you know, to, to, to create uh, new large-scale infrastructure projects than it is to simply take care of the stuff that's already there. And so, um, yeah, and when it comes to questions about future buildout for electrification, the answer will always be more transmission lines because that's where there's an active profit. Whereas if we were to build out locally, there would be less of a need for transmission lines, so therefore uh, we wouldn't build them, and therefore they wouldn't be able to collect dividends on that, right? So when they're lobbying the CPUC about what is the future of California's grid, it's always going to be build out more transmission lines, because that's the quickest, easiest way for them to make a profit, right? So that's why they're really, really against local generation.
0: Understood, thank you. And then um, just lastly, I i mean, I'm in, in support of this, and I want to see Golden State Energy in my lifetime, and the downfall of pg in my lifetime. Um, I am concerned, though, about the elected seats, if they're statewide, just because money, especially in California, has completely taken over any state-level office. Um, And I am concerned about, you know, whatever big money interests, being able to put whoever they want onto this board, and really, unfortunately, low-information voters voting for someone just because, and you know, losing out on a real opportunity to sit someone who's in labor, who represents the workers, who is also an environmental justice advocate and has the expertise. So I'm just wondering, the elected seats, are those like statewide or district specific?
12: Yeah, so so that's a great question. I think the iBank is actually a great example of that, right? So it's like people have been putting a lot of thought for years into how to create systems of democracy that actually respond to some of those concerns. And so I think you know because what we're proposing here is, is a study to, like, to really flesh out how these things could work, I think that that's one source of, of information to just really learn from the research and the work that others have done. So, so our, our report doesn't, doesn't have like a specific declaration of how we wanna see that, it's more the questions of where can we go to learn the, you know, the best models for that and that need to be implemented.
0: Got it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Um, now we can open up for public comment.
1: All right, Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item number five, the draft study proposal for the Golden State Energy Act, you can line up to speak now on your right. You'll have three minutes. Thank you.
13: Good morning. My name is Emily Ross. I'm a community organizer and actually a Richmond resident but hearing about like the red day reminded me of like I had those guys too and how your decisions actually influence a a broader range and that by virtue of living in the same region we share some concerns. Um, I want to thank the LAFCO commissioners and staff for your support and leadership for the residents of San Francisco, and to reclaim our power for the work to hold PG&E accountable and pursue an energy alternative that's safe, affordable, and community controlled. Um, I believe that San Francisco can lead the way in sending a message to the governor's administration and as well as influencing other municipalities to do the same. And together we can hold PG&E accountable for these safety failures, outages, and rate increases that impact so many of us. Um, The proposed study outline offers a beautiful and comprehensive path forward to inform future energy system development for San Francisco and beyond, and answers a lot of the important, lays out many of the important questions around financing, the technical stuff around transmission, and sort of how it would be democratically controlled. Um, As someone who has loved ones who have lost their homes or faced multiple evacuations due to wildfires in the North Bay, um, despite PG&E's role in those fires, it was the individual families and communities and government agencies that were actually there to pick up the pieces. And given that governments have a responsibility to their people that corporations do not, I really commend the direction folks seem to be going in finding a healthier <coughs> path forward for all of us. So thank you for your time.
1: Thank you for your comments. Do we have any other individuals who would like to provide public comment here in person? If you, Anybody else would like to provide, please line up to
14: speak now. Hi, my name is Shane Nanavati. I'm also with the Mar Power Campaign. Um, and I was, uh, grew up in the Bay Area and I've seen, especially in San Francisco, just a lot of changes um, from, yeah, just over the past um, 30 years. And I think one of the other big things I've seen change over the course of my lifetime is just the, the, the catastrophic wildfires. This didn't happen um, even 10 years ago. Um, and I think I actually wanted to speak to the question um, that you asked Commissioner about, you know, how do they make profit off of transmission? And I think that the best example that I can use to, to kind of understand that is um, the argument that developers use to um, talk about how we need more um, luxury apartments and high-rise condos. And the thing is that we have a cost-based rate-making system, right? In California, most investor-owned utilities and public utilities also make their costs, um, which they're allowed to pass down to customers based on what they say that this costs them to build and transmission is one of the most expensive infrastructure items to build. Um, And so just like with luxury condos, when they say build, 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 and that's how we're gonna have housing trickle down to people, uh, there's a very similar argument um, to bring in Wall Street money into build, 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 long distance transmission lines and then clean energy will trickle down to the people. Um, And so what we believe in the Reclaim Our Power campaign is that local clean energy is a place for us to start um, to build healthy communities and to build local resilience um, in the face of increasing wildfires and now hurricanes in California. Um, and from there, we can then build up a system that we need to bring in resources from elsewhere. But if we start with our communities, then um, that overbuild is not no longer necessary. Um, and so meeting the needs of our communities at a local level and having a, a utility that will actually facilitate that rather than their job being to maximize shareholder profits and CEO profits um, by building the most expensive infrastructure first, um, that's a big part of this vision um, for our campaign and for San Francisco and for the state of California. So uh, thank you all for considering this study and really looking forward to seeing where this goes. Thank you for your comments. Are there any other speakers?
15: Hi there, my name's Morgan Curtis, and I'm also a supporter of the Reclaim Our Power campaign, and I think folks have spoken really powerfully to the potential local benefits and impacts, both for folks paying utility bills, impacted by fires, all that's required to change here to make California safe, affordable, and welcoming. Um, I also want to speak for a moment to, like, the potential national and global impact of San Francisco and California taking leadership on this issue. I think when we look globally, wherever we see private banks, investors running systems for the public good, we see those false incentives that fall short of providing for people, providing for a sustainable future for the planet. And so it feels just tremendously exciting to me to imagine that this region could set an example on a global stage for what happens when the people take back the power over assets that should be in service of the public good rather than letting them be owned and mobilized by private investors to line the pockets of the wealthy over and over again. So thank you for considering moving this forward and Just really hope that we can both see this in our lifetime here and trickling out across the world because these solutions are needed on a global scale for a just transition to a just sustainable economy for all. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your comments. Are there any other individuals here in person who would like to provide comment? Seeing none, we will go to the remote call-in. We currently have three callers in the queue. Uh, Suzanne, could you put the first caller through?
2: Good, Good morning. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, we can. Please proceed.
2: Great. Thank you. Hi, I'm Igor Tregu, and I am speaking in my individual capacity in support of the Reclaim Our Power campaign. A campaign that has been demanding accountability for PG&E's continued failure to protect our communities and ensuring that our governor ultimately reins in PG&E and the other investor-owned utilities energy is a human right and we need electricity that is safe, resilient, affordable and community and worker controlled We need a new energy system that works for every Californian, and San Francisco is well-positioned to lead the way. So I'm calling to encourage LAFCO to pass the resolution before you, outlining the future utility that we can envision together. We need to hold PG&E accountable for continuing to cause fires, I was just in paradise two years ago, shortly after PG&E also killed the ability of working class and middle class folks to be able to save money on their utility rates to rooftop solar. And even years after the paradise fire, the, the images were haunting to me. This body can push the governor's administration to hold pg and accountable and to stop them from destroying the lives, lungs, and livelihoods of California. And I'm urging the Golden State Energy to uh, have the opportunity to initiate building an alternative to PG&E. I listened to most of your hearing. You're doing great work. Um, Unfortunately, investor-owned utilities like PG&E are continuing to make your work more difficult right now they are in the process of a two, two-pronged attack on working class and middle class folks as well as renters um prong one they are trying to stop the ability of renters in multifamily housing as well as schools and farms to be able to save money on their utility bills to solar and secondly they have proposed the highest utility tax in the country by 1500 percent so what you're doing is important and i hope you will also join me in calling into the cpuc meeting this coming thursday at 11 a.m to tell them to not do what the e is asking them to do and not kill solar for renters schools and farms thank you
1: thank you for your comments Let's go to the next caller. Good morning.
5: My name is Ligia Montano. I'm the organizing director at Senior and Disability Action. I'm supporting the Reclaim Our Power campaign, demanding accountability for PG&E. Our seniors and people with disabilities have suffered greatly from the irresponsibility of PG&E that has caused fire, killed people, and raised our rates Some of our members have shared with us that they don't even use their heating system during winter because they simply cannot afford it. We need a better system that reconfigures the service and rates according to the community needs. This governor administration needs needs to uh, protect our communities and cancel PG&E to stop them from destroying the livelihoods of human, animals, and the forest in California. Energy is a human right, and we need electricity that is safe, resilient, affordable, and community and work control. We need a new energy system that works for every Californian, and San Francisco can be the one leading this effort. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for your comments. Let's go to the next caller.
4: So most of y'all do not know how PG&E was created. When we San Franciscans went and got the land 160 miles away from San Francisco to build the hatch reservoir and dam, we brought the lines and stopped 30 miles away south instead of bringing our the grid into San Francisco. The lines were brought into the city, and that work was done by PG&E. So we have to get some understanding of our due diligence that we didn't do in the first place. Secondly, our fight should be with CPUC, not by just coming from Oakland and trying to tell us what, Our fight in San Francisco should be with the CPUC and with Gavin Newsom, who was the mayor of San Francisco and knows a lot about San Francisco, and we must hold his feet to the fire. Now I notice that we do have many people of color in San Francisco, advocates, and they are not embraced. But we bring people from faraway places to tell us about Paradise Fire, which, you know, I empathize with those people. But that's a different issue. We want to have our resources, and we have millions of acres of land where we can put solar by Crystal Springs, for example, and we don't think outside the box. What we waste our energy on is bad-mouthing PJ and E and some other characters, and that's not going to take us anywhere. Good leaders know the way, show the way, and go the way. Unfortunately, LASCO is pathetic. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for your comments. All right, let's go to the next caller.
16: Good morning. Uh, my name is Zach Liu, and I'm the director for the California Green New Deal Coalition. I'm calling in to urge LASCO to pass the resolution in front of you outlining the need to comprehensively study the benefits of Golden State Energy for San Francisco. Golden State Energy, as folks have been talking about, was created in the aftermath of the PG&E bankruptcy in 2020 in recognition that we need to create a contingency plan if and when PG&E fails again. Now. We need to take the time uh, to initiate Golden State Energy and set it up as a viable alternative to PG&E, one that can actually provide safe, reliable, and affordable electricity in a way that is just. The people living in San Francisco and those in the larger P- PG&E territory have had to live with the consequences of a utility system that has caused fires, that have claimed human lives, a system that has caused power outages that threaten vulnerable residents, and all the while having to pay for these failures through rates that continue to increase. Uh, So we ask Glasgow to pass this resolution and work with Reclaim Our Power to make tangible strides towards the energy system of the future. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your comments. All right, do we have any other callers left in the queue? Hello, caller. Uh Hello caller. All right, looks like we they hung up. Um, Madam Vice Chair, that concludes the comment line. Thank you. Seeing
0: no public speakers, public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to accept the study proposal and to direct executive officer to transmit copies to the governor and to San Francisco's representatives in the state legislature. Do I have a second? Second. Seconded by Commissioner Williams. Madam Clerk, can you please
1: call the roll? Yes, on the motion as stated by Vice Chair Fielder, Commissioner Preston. Preston, aye. Commissioner Williams. Aye. Williams, aye. Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk, and this resolution is approved. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number six? Yes, item number six is the executive officer's report, including an update on the Midtown Park Apartments and the forward calendar. Members of the public who want to provide comment on this item should line up to speak on your right or press star three to uh, join the speaker's queue. Thank you. We will now hear from Executive Officer Jeremy Pollock.
10: Uh, thank you very much. Jeremy Pollack, executive officer. I'll be brief. I know commissioners have uh, time constraints, uh, but a quick update on the Midtown Park apartment study. Uh, we're uh, excited that we've finalized contract negotiations with the supplier. Uh, we we're hoping to have that fully executed. Uh, unfortunately, they've run into an issue with registering with the city's payroll payment system and want to get that squared away before uh, we officially sign it, but hoping to have that um, done in you know, a matter of days, and get to work on the on the project. Uh, also, want to acknowledge um, Commissioner Williams' uh, recruitment of uh, Mr. Henry Lear, who's been helping with researching on um, a pro bono basis. Uh, a lot of the history of Midtown has really put together an excellent uh, collection of resources. That's going to help us jumpstart this project. Um, and so um, just briefly on the forward calendar, our next meeting is November 17th and hope to have um, a project launch uh, presentation from the Midtown folks on that. Uh, and also uh, Chair Chan has indicated she wants to schedule a closed session for performance review of myself and the general counsel, And then we'll have uh, the regular meeting schedule for the 2024. And when our next meeting after that will be January, 2024. And that com- completes my report.
0: Thank you so much. Colleagues, do you have any comments or questions? All right, seeing none. um, And there's no action for this item. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number seven?
1: Uh, Madam Vice Chair, would you like to call public comment? Oh,
0: sorry. Um, Opening public comment for this section.
1: Yes, members of the public who are in the room, it doesn't look like we have anyone left in the room, so we'll go to the remote public comment line. Susanna is checking to see if we any, have any callers. And Madam Vice Chair, there are no callers.
0: Thank you. Seeing no public commenters, public comment is now closed, and there's no action for this item. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number seven?
1: Yes, item number seven is the general public comment. Members of the public may address the San Francisco Local Agency Formation Commission on matters that are within their jurisdiction and not on today's agenda. Seeing no one here in person, we will go to the public comment line to see if we have any remote speakers. We'll give a pause to see if anyone joins a speaker's queue. And No, Madam Vice-Chair, we have no callers.
0: Thank you. Uh, Seeing no speakers or callers, public comment is now closed. And Finally, Madam Clerk, can you please call item number eight?
1: Item number eight is future agenda items.
0: All right, colleagues, any future agenda items? Seeing none, let's open this for public comment.
1: Remember, since we do not have any members of the public here in person, we'll go to the public comment, uh, the remote line, give a pause to see if anyone raises their hand, and no, Madam Vice-Chair, we have no callers.
0: All right, seeing no public speakers or callers, public comment is now closed and there's no action to take on this matter. Madam Clerk, is there any other business before us today?
1: That concludes our business for today.
0: All right. Thank you so much. This is a meeting adjourned.
2: You're muted.